Mac Power Users, episode 431, Mac Maintenance. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Good. We have not talked about Mac maintenance in a very long time, and I thought it would be fun to do a show just talking about what we're doing these days to keep our Macs running smoothly, dealing with problems, and uh, generally not causing problems for us. Yeah, our Mac maintenance show was actually in the single digits when we <laughs> were recording Mac Power Users. Now, is it going to be Mac maintenance? I mean, is there anything to talk about with iOS maintenance? Oh, yeah, definitely. So maybe we'll just call this routine maintenance or regular maintenance. I don't know. No, we're just going to talk about Macs today, I think. I mean, there's enough here. And and it's such a different animal on, on iOS. I, I think it's good to go back and just let's let's just talk about the Mac. Let's see. I guess let's see how we do. But the um, uh, I, I definitely have a lot to say about where the Mac is in terms of maintenance and what the requirements are. Um, before we do, however, a couple things I wanted to uh, point everybody out to. This is early, but I am going to be in London again in July. And uh, Rose and I have decided that we're going to try and set something up. Thank, thanks again for Rosemary for helping me do this. Uh, we're looking at we're going to have a little meetup. Uh, sans Katie, but you know we're going to get Katie to the next one. Uh, but uh, on the evening of July 9th in London, and uh, we'll have the address and uh, details later. It's going to be a very casual meetup. It's not going to be like the thing we did in Chicago. And uh, we're going to a restaurant where they'll take, you know, five people, they'll take 50 people. They don't really care. And uh, it'll be fun. And I'll have some details in the show notes. But for now, save the date, July 9th. All right. Sounds like a plan. And uh, that's it for introductory announcements. I don't have anything else to say today, but uh, I do want to talk about Mac maintenance. And there's a question Katie raised at the beginning, you know, do we need Mac maintenance? The last time we talked about this was 2009, and now it's 2018. And a lot has changed in the intervening years. I feel like when we first started recording Mac Power users, Apple had not done as good a job as they're doing these days to automate a lot of the general maintenance tasks you're doing on your Mac. Yeah, I mean, it was a very different version of the uh, Mac OS. Most people were still running rotational hard drives back in back in those days. Defragging was still a thing. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of things Mac maintenance related that people had to do then that are really automated now. Apple takes care of a lot of this type of stuff behind the scenes. We had a totally different uh, file system, although you know, APFS is, is still fairly new. I think we're still kind of kicking the, the tires on that one a little bit. But I still think a lot of this is is applicable. Um, you know, Macs, I think more than any other computers are kind of set it and forget it and just let it do its thing. But there are still things that you can do to make your experience better than others. It's, it's certainly not like um, uh, the old PCs where, you know, every year you needed to wipe it and start fresh whether you had a problem or not, just because it was it was unusable if you didn't. Every year, when I, the PCs I've used, it was more like a six month thing. Where you know, somebody wrote me recently and said, occasionally uh, you we use the term nuke and pave on the show. I don't even remember the etymology of where I picked that up over the years, but the idea of nuke and pave is to wipe your hard drive down to the, just the zeros and start over again, which is something that I think I used to say that 
phrase when I worked with PCs. You know, every six months you got a nuke and pave. And by that, I mean, you just need to wipe it out entirely, reinstall the operating system and just start from scratch. And when we did early years of this show, often we got email from listeners asking about how often that they need to to do that to their new Macs. When we ever had switchers would come in and they'd say, okay, so on the PC I did every six months, can I can I wait a year on the Mac? And I always would have to tell them, I think at one point I even had a text expander snippet and said, it's okay, you don't need to wipe your hard drive out some routine period. I mean, if something goes wrong, you might need to, but it's not a normal thing on a Mac to need to do that. So even back in 2009, I think Apple was kind of ahead of the game in terms of that type of drastic maintenance. But even better, in these intervening years, they've really uh, taken care of some of the little pieces. Now, I agree with Katie when she's talking about how Apple has solved a lot of the problems. I still feel like there's a ton of work to be done here. I feel like Apple could make it so much better. And like I said, I don't know if we're going to get to iOS today, but to me, the iOS experience is even better. And I feel like the Mac should be pushing that direction to make maintenance something where we don't even have to make podcasts about it in the future. And I don't think we're there yet. And I will also offer a counterpoint to that is that because the iOS experience is so sealed, for lack of a better word, um, there are areas where I wish we could do maintenance on, that we can on the Mac on iOS, but Apple just doesn't let us. Yeah. Well, and I guess it, it depends on what, you know, Ox is being gored. I like, for instance, when I was say making that statement earlier, one thing that stuck in my mind is I just recently looked at one of my daughter's computers and she was running an app out of a DMG folder. You know, she she downloaded an app from the Internet. She pressed the button, it installed the app in the folder, and then you're supposed to copy it to applications. And it's kind of dumb that in 2018, we need to rely on the user to do that. No, you're just supposed to install everything from the Mac App Store. It's fine because, you know, everything's in the Mac App Store. It's good. No, it's not fine. I feel like they could be better. Yeah. So and I understand you're being funny, but the uh, that's that's a good example of stuff that it creates cruft on your machine. And it makes up updates really hard because it's not installed properly. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that does add to problems with your Mac. And that stuff does add up over time. And sometimes you do need to nuke and pave a Mac. These uh, these Macs aren't perfect and uh, they could be better. So so today we're going to talk about some of that. You know, how do we maintain? How do we deal with the problems? What are some of our favorite favorite software tools? And maybe by the end of the show, you'll have your own little Mac toolkit of software because if you're listening to the show, there's a good chance there's somebody in your life that needs you to do maintenance and troubleshooting on their Mac as well. So one of the things that I have been known to say is that over time, your Mac can build up cruft. Does everybody know what I'm talking about when I say cruft? I mean, is that kind of a, I don't know, is that just a word I made up? Uh, no, I think I have heard it before. I mean, it, I, I get it. It's just kind of like little bits and pieces that are that are left over from when you install something or when you get rid of something, but you don't quite get rid of all the pieces. It's it's just like, you know, little stuff that you just don't wish were there, like little bits and crumbs that were left over after a, a meal or, yeah, just, just little, little crusty bits that you kind of need to sometimes get in there and carve out. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you you do get junk on your Mac over time, and we're going to talk about how to deal with that. Um, there's a lot of ways that shows up. Sometimes it's uh, file-based, just from the files you work with and projects. Uh, unfortunately, some of it's application-based. You know, it's not the ideal situation. One of the things I liked about the classic Mac operating system was the application file was it. 
I mean, you move that application, you took all the pieces. And with OS X, you do get some, you know, support files spread out among your app. Well, no, 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 no way. No way. I, I think it's much better on OS X than it was on Classic Mac. I mean, do you not remember extensions and and the all the preference files and the control panels? And I mean, they, they had conflict catcher for Mac OS 9 and, you know. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm looking at it in rose colored glasses. Maybe it's always sucked a little bit, but <laughs> the problem never got solved. I guess is the the point. And you still need ways to deal with those application bits that get left over. Um, some applications are worse than others. I, I do think that the Mac App Store, which has shown up since the last time we talked about Mac maintenance, does simplify the process to a certain extent. Uh, it certainly simplifies the installation process. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it's not the experience you have on iOS where you can jiggle the app, press the X button, and it's gone from your Act device. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I think that uh, power users are notorious for having more problems with these little bits of cruft that build up because we are kind of known for installing things and just trying them out and, and seeing about them and then maybe forgetting about them or maybe not completely uninstalling them. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about at the end of the show, after we kind of go through all the tools, our own maintenance routines and schedules, just to kind of come, I'd like to compare how we're doing it these days versus the way we did it in years past. Uh, But to begin with, let's talk a little bit about just being aware of problems on your Mac. I, I, I want to call it diagnosing, but I think it's more than that. I think it's just, you know, having your antenna up for problems. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So like you just kind of when you, when you get this feeling that something's not not quite right. Yeah, I mean, it happened to me the other day. I, I noticed that several times I was having uh, connection problems with the Internet. And I, um, you know, and, and it's something that would solve itself and then I'd see it again a day or two later. So we all have these little things that happen in our in our computing devices. And I think that you're not always looking for there a problem for there to be a problem. You just say, okay, it's working now, so I'm good. But those little warning signs are often one of the keys to proper maintenance of your Mac. You know, that gives you some idea of a problem to come. And, you know, what are the ways you you track that? We just had Marco on and and we had a pretty good discussion in that episode about iStat menus. But I think that's one of the key tools for that problem. Yeah, one of the things you can see with iStat menus, and you don't have to use iStat menus, you can use a tool that's built into your Mac, like Activity Monitor, is you can start seeing when, for example, the the CPU is spiking, when maybe there's not a good reason for it to be doing that, or when your RAM usage is, is overly high, or is your network activity going crazy, but you're not really doing anything on the internet, and maybe there's a reason why that is happening. So those are the types of things that... Certainly, Apple has given us built-in tools that we can do, but there are at-a-glance tools like iStat Menus that will be able to tell you kind of at a glance what's going on. Yeah, and I don't even keep a lot of the iStat Menu tools in my toolbar, in my main toolbar. It's usually in my bartender bar, which is hidden. Uh, but as soon as my you know spidey sense starts tingling that I've got an issue, then I'll either go to bartender or I'll move those 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 di- those tools and diagrams in- into my menu bar so I can keep an active eye on what's going on. But I think uh, being aware of what's going on is a great way. And it's not just uh, noticing problems on your Mac. I do feel like you can still hear and smell some problems. Oh, suddenly, if it gets too hot, you can smell that. Um, 
some not so much with the SSDs, but if you've got a spinning disk in your machine, you can definitely hear problems with your hard drive. Well, the fans the fans are kicking up. That's definitely something that you can hear. Are uh, the fans running all the time? I mean, I had an issue recently. I think we talked about it on on MPU where for whatever reason, my Mac was running sluggish. And even when I was doing nothing but just, you know, basic web browsing, I was looking up at iStat menus and my CPU was pegging at, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent for things that it really shouldn't be pegging. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on, what is eating all my processor cycles. And turned out um, an SMC reset was what what fixed that. It was just, you know, some weird thing. And let's talk later about those uh, the PRAM and all those various things you can do, it, but it, it feels good. I mean, let's be honest; it does feel good to do it after all these years. You can't stop doing your PRAM reset. But uh, so, if you've got iStat menus, uh, it, all you have to do is click on your CPUs, and it has a nice drop-down menu that's got a small version of Activity Monitor. It shows you what's using the most uh, processor at the moment. Like for me right now, it's Core Audio and Skype, which would make sense because I'm making a podcast. Uh, and that's fine. But if you are working in Microsoft Word and you down and you hit your um, and you hit for your activity monitor or you hit your iStat menus report and it tells you that Safari or Chrome is using 80 percent of your processor, you know, I've been working the app, then that tells you there's something going on. And the nice thing about that is quite often you can diagnose a problem just with that bit of information that it could be that you've got like a um, a flash um, component that's run wild in your browser and just quitting the application fixes the problem. And thankfully you don't have a failing Mac. Right. And particularly to be wary of is what is going on on web pages. And I, I think you can even get pretty granular with activity monitor that will tell you specific tabs in Safari. Now, Apple has done a lot with the uh, recent versions of Safari to, to try to knock some of that out, but it is not uncommon for a plugin on a web page or an overzealous web developer or ads run amok, or other things gone crazy on web pages to, to really suck down your, your CPU cycles. And if you have something open in the background, particularly if you're someone who has a lot of tabs open, that that can, can really start running things crazy. One of my favorite pieces, and not to try and sell my own stuff, but I guess here I am. The, uh, when I made the 60 Tips Volume 2 with Brett Terpstra, he did, I think it was eight minute long um, walk through the activity monitor where it was a screencast where he walked through every component in the activity monitor. And I learned a ton from just listening to Brett talk about that because he was way, he goes way deeper on some of that uh, application information than I normally do. And it was really great just kind of getting a nice knowledge base about how activity monitor works because all you really need to look at for most stuff is just CPU percentage. And that answers your question but there's actually a ton more information there and you can really diagnose a problem just looking at your activity monitor data. Another thing is the log on your Mac. You know, there's a log of all activity on your Mac. If you take it into the Apple store, that's the first thing they're going to check. Uh, going into the log, it's, I believe in the terminal last time I, uh, haven't accessed it for a long time. You're looking for the console. Ah, console. Yes. If you're going in the applications folder, there's a utilities folder inside the applications folder. And you might want to poke around in the utilities folder and, and just see what is in there to see. Now, it can be kind of hard to, to see what's going on in the console, but you can you can see if there are alerts popping up. Now, sometimes you can get alerts popping up just because of bad programs and because of bugs and programming. I think there was one with the calendar for a long time that would throw up a, you know, month 
13 out of order or something like that for, for the longest time that Apple finally had to had to squash. But um, sometimes you can see if certain things are going on in, in the console. And that's uh, especially after a crash. Uh, you go into the you can tell I haven't had many crashes lately because I forgot the name of it. I was thinking it was called the log. But yeah, it's a great resource for you. A lot of times it's it's just gibberish. Like, I, I don't know. I've I've got a constant. I guess core audio is is throwing up a bunch of stuff right now. But I guess that should be normal since I'm recording a podcast. You're making a so, podcast. Yeah, well, we'll see what it's going. My audio engine is in use. I guess that's a good thing. So so getting started with all this stuff. Um, Activity Monitor is your friend. It's on every Mac. It's free. Uh, just go up to Spotlight. Tap activity and type out activity and you'll be able to launch it. It's in the utilities folder of your applications. Um, and if you want to run deeper or if you want to keep a better eye on this stuff, I think probably the best tool for that is iStat menus. You can buy that directly from the developer. Uh, they just came out the new version. Or if you're a setup subscriber, it's free with your setup subscription. And one of the nice things, because I'm a setup subscriber, I know um, iStat Menus has got a nice weather component and some other stuff that's in-app purchases if you buy the app from them. But with setup, they give you the whole enchilada. So that's kind of nice. But I think diagnosing, that's what you need to get started. You know, put the, put those two tools in and you're good. Uh, if you're sitting at somebody's computer that is not yours and, you, and they're having a problem, I'm not saying you have to go out and buy iStat menus. You can probably get by with Activity Monitor. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile and the all-new PDF Pen version 10 for Mac. Learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. I want to talk a little bit this week about the new PDF Pen version 10 for Mac. PDF Pen has always been the ultimate tool for editing PDFs, whether it's on your Mac, your iPad, or your iPhone. And PDF Pen version 10 for Mac brings a whole lot more. Some of my favorite features of the new PDF Pen version 10, including the ability to add custom watermarks, headers, footers, and a new precision editing tool. Now, in my law practice, I can't tell you how many times I need to add a draft watermark or a stamp or something to a PDF. With PDF Pen version 10, this is easier than ever. It's just drag and drop, set your criteria, and boom, you are good to go. You can also add custom headers and footers to your PDF. You can customize them with page numbers and information, all to your heart's content. And editing your PDF documents has never been easier. You can get in, change, and resize text, and get in there with the really granular precision to make sure your PDFs look just like you want them. But perhaps my favorite feature comes with PDF Pen Version Pro. It brings along the ability to batch OCR documents. OCR stands for Optical Character Recognition. That means you can take a scanned image and PDF Pen will go in and translate that plain image into text. And once you do that, you can do all kinds of amazing automation actions with that. PDF Pen Pro 10 gives you the ability to automate batch OCRing documents right within PDF Pen. It has never been easier to OCR a stack of documents. These are just a few of the brand new features of PDF Pen version 10. You can learn more and try PDF Pen version 10 by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. And check out the new video by our pal Mac Sparky showing you some of the new features. Thanks to Smile for your continued support of Mac Power users. So now that we've kind of diagnosed some of the problems or, or thought about ideas to diagnose problems, why don't we talk about some of the places that you should check for what might be slowing down your Mac or where this cruft that I was talking about tends to build up? 
Yeah. Uh, one of the first places you should go whenever your Mac is acting funny is your login items under the system preferences. Uh, so that's at system preferences and then the accounts tab and then the login items. And you need to look on the, the logged in user account. That's where you see them. Uh, these are applications that uh, start up automatically when you start your Mac. Keep in mind that the more that you have in those login items, the longer it will take for your Mac to start up. And these things are, are typically all running in the background. And you may not see them. You may not be aware that they're actively doing something. These are usually helper apps. But these are all running in the background of your Mac, which means they're all taking up resources. Now, some of these things you know need to run in the background, like Dropbox runs in the background if you want Dropbox to sync, and Hazel runs in the background, the Hazel helper app if you want Hazel to be processing your rules. And having some of these running in the background of your Mac at any given time is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's going to be necessary for us to get some of these things done. But you have to be aware that a lot of these applications are just going to want to start adding things to your to your login items. And I think it's a good policy to go in and check pretty frequently what's going on. Yeah, I, I think there's no reason to be afraid of an app automatically logging in, but just make sure that it's earned its place. If you don't use Hazel anymore, for whatever reason, you don't like Hazel or you just don't find a use for it. If it's loading, it's help it, help it app or uh, helper, helper app. app every... Sorry, that's like a little tongue twister there. If it's loading up every time you start your Mac, that's wasted time and it's wasted resources on your Mac. I mean, the, I know that that helper app on Hazel's minuscule on any modern Mac, but nevertheless, it's data and uh, bandwidth being used that you don't need to use if you're not using the application. So uh, what I recommend, this is when I have a OmniFocus repeating task on every three months, I just check login items and I just see what's in there. Uh, and, and the other thing is, if you're testing apps, you're a nerd and you're loading apps, often they're going to say, hey, do you want me to start up with your Mac? And you'll go ahead and click yes, because you have this unbridled optimism that this app is going to solve all your problems. And then you realize after a couple of weeks, you don't really like it and you don't use it. But then it still loads up every time you load your Mac. And if you don't stop to think about it, uh, it's easy to miss that that's happening. So go in and audit those login items. And when you want to get rid of one, it's not as easy as you might think it is to get rid of an app from the login items. Let me go into the window real quick so I can make sure I talk through this properly. Be careful because the way that people think you get rid of these is by unchecking the box. That's not how you get rid of them because there's a box that you can check or uncheck. And if you read it carefully, that's just to hide or show the items when you log in. To actually get rid of them, you have to click on the item and hit the little minus button. And the, the minus button's below. And you can add additional apps for auto login at the same place. So just click it, hit the minus button, and it's gone. Uh, but, but go through and check it. Make sure those apps that are in there are apps that you actually use. Uh, another time, if you, if you install a new application or new hardware, like I had a problem on my iMac where it was acting a little funny. And I had recently reinstalled the Wacom uh, tablet driver because I use the Wacom tablet for some of the screencast stuff I do. And in my mind, I got thinking, ah, it must be that Wacom driver I installed a few days ago because my Mac is acting funny. And so I removed the software, deleted it from the login items. I completely just nuked the software from my Mac and then started running my Mac and I had the same problem. So it wasn't the Wacom, but it was a great way to diagnose and, and remove that that uh, software is a potential cause of the problem. But uh, hit, knocking it out of the login items is a great way to start when you're doing that troubleshooting process. Another place that, that you can look for things that are easy to, to build up, particularly after our recent show on web browsers, 
is uh, internet plugins. Because with each uh, web browser that you have, whether it's Safari, whether it's Google, whether it's Firefox or an alternative browser, you can add plugins to these browsers. And I went through and I found a number of plugins that I've added over the years that maybe I wasn't using anymore. And so I took an opportunity after that show to go ahead and clear some out. Yeah. And you can turn them off or you can delete them. So if you truly aren't going to use them anymore, just delete them, get rid of them. And you also may want to see whether there is an alternative to having a plugin. Now, the plugins don't take a a ton of space, but, you know, they can cause conflict. You can have multiple that do the same thing. So, for example, for years, I had the Instapaper extension in Safari. And I said, you know, I'm using Instapaper less and less. I still use it. Why don't I just use the Instapaper bookmarklet? Because that doesn't cause me any, you know, it, it doesn't do anything. It can just sit there. I can use it or I can't. I can get rid of one more thing on my menu bar. And then I can get rid of an extension that can possibly cause issues. And if you're using multiple browsers, obviously, when you do this process, go through and check all the browsers. I I get in more trouble with Internet plugins with Chrome than I do with Safari because oh, it's so easy. Yeah. Chrome has a lot of interesting browser plugins. I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of a more open environment. Uh, in the sense that a lot of people are coming up with crazy stuff. Like if you can get a plugin that deletes the name of certain politicians, if you go to web pages and it has that person's name on it, I mean, it's just like nutty uh, plugins. And because I'm a nerd, I'll see some of those. I'm like, Oh, I just want to try that to see how well it works. And then all of a sudden I'll look one day and have 20 Chrome plugins and the, and I won't understand why the program's running slowly, you know? Uh, so be careful with Chrome. I think that's a, an easy one to fall into that trap. Uh, I guess another one would be just preference panes themselves. Uh, your Mac has a series of system preferences that come when you install iOS, but then third-party applications can go in there and install as well. I've always been pretty careful about that. I don't like a, to put a lot of stuff on my system that can cause trouble, but if there's an app that's worth it, then I I, you know, I deal with it. Uh, Backblaze is a good example. I use Backblaze. Hazel. They install a system. Yeah, Hazel's another one. The Wacom tablet I was just bemoaning a moment ago takes a slot for me. So you may have some in there. Make sure that there are things that you're still using. If you give up Backblaze and decide to go some other direction for your backup, there's no reason to have Backblaze running on your Mac. Uh, another big one, and again, we've done shows on this, so I know that we can be big culprits are menu bar items. Because keep in mind, um, everything in your menu bar is really a little app that's running in the background of your Mac. They're all taking little processes. They're all taking little resources. And they're probably all opening in the background. And particularly if you've got like bartender bars among bartender bars, because you've got too, so many menu bar applications loading, you might have a problem then. You might have a lot of stuff that's loading back there that you really don't need or don't use. So every now and then, I make a point to go through and look at something and say, you know, am I really using this little menu bar app? Mm, probably not. And, and what I'd say about all of this is, you know, I don't think the emphasis is, should really be uh, having this in your menu bar is going to take more system process and going to slow your Mac down. Because with modern Macs, most menu bar apps, I I, I can't honestly think of a single one that is really going to have any noticeable impact on your processor. But the problem is, if they're poorly written or if something changes in the operating system and the developer doesn't keep it up to date, each one of these is a potential 
problem for your Mac to get hung up or for there to be a crash that exposes you to a security vulnerability. Well, you know, it's just a vector of problems, whether it's security or just your Mac slowing down because something breaks with it. So the the key here is, you know, don't delete stuff that you like. If you have iStat menus or, you know, some app in your menu bar that you love, don't listen to the show and say, well, I need to find a way to get rid of that. Don't do that because these apps are there for a reason. They help you. But if you've got ones in there that you're not using, get rid of them. I sound like a broken record, don't I? No, I think it's right. It's just like the more the more bells and whistles you have, the more the more propensity you have for problems. This is why I have a car that still requires a key, you know, because I don't trust the little push button thing. So the push button thing. Oh, the start the car. Well, most people don't have a push button on their car. I don't have a push button on my car No, either. most people do have a push button on their car now. All right. It is funny. You know, we talk about all the time buying new Macs and all the geeky stuff we do. But, you know, when you look at, like, cars, I think Katie and I are both the type that we don't buy fancy cars because I don't really care that much. If my car still gets me to work, then I'm good. My, my car will be old enough to drive itself soon. Yeah. and Or, it seems, or like refrigerators. Do you keep up with the latest refrigerators and go buy the latest and greatest update in every refrigerator? No, you don't. I mean, we all have uh, things that we're very passionate about in us. It's this Apple stuff, but uh, everybody, not every, you know, you're not always going to be looking for the latest and greatest, no matter what you're doing. And you have to remember that about our friends and family members that don't go crazy every time there's a new Mac or iPhone to them. It's just like their refrigerator. They don't care. The one they have is working. But you do have to get the refrigerator with the filtered water and the crushed ice in the door. That's that's a must. All right, moving on. Um, let's talk about one of the big areas where we accumulate stuff is we keep too much stuff on our Mac that we don't need. Um, big big one being files that we don't need. And Apple has made it easier to to try to resolve some of this. They was it uh, with the most current version of the operating system, or did they do this in the previous version? Uh, where if you can go to the Apple menu about this Mac, the storage, and then manage, they give you a way to start looking at ways that you can optimize the storage on your Mac. I believe that was Sierra. It was before Sierra got high. It was in there. I think that was the first version of that. There's been a lot of apps that have done this on the Mac over the years where they search out large and rarely used files on your Mac, and then they make it easy for you to clean those out. So Apple built that into the operating system. I don't think it's the best implementation, but it's there and it's free. It's not Sherlocking anybody right now. I don't yeah, think, but it's there and it's free. And if, if nothing else, so the way you access that is you go to the Apple menu in the top left corner of your Mac, click on about this Mac, and then there's tabs across this, this window used to be terrible. They've done such a, a good job of improving it the last few years, but there is a, a tab for storage. You just click on that and then it will uh, give you the uh, the available space on your various drives and then there's a manage button you click that and then i believe that's how you get the uh, get it to to show you the various pieces it's also where you get the option to turn on store in iCloud and all the optimizations they they've got the ability to empty trash automatically there which is a nice maintenance tool uh, i used to do that through hazel but i can do it through the operating system yeah now now let me ask I am chronic. I, I'm frantic about emptying my trash. I don't know if it's an, uh, a thing. I don't store things in my trash. I know there are some people who, like, put things in their trash that they're thinking that they might delete, but maybe not. 
And then if you if you empty their trash, it's it's a big thing because they're like, oh, I didn't know if I wanted to keep that or not. I might I might want to delete that. But to me, if I put it in the trash, it's it's gone. It's it's just get rid of it. Goodbye. I've never heard of anybody storing things in their trash, Katie. Well, no, it's like I'll put it there. Maybe I'll delete it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll come back to it. So that's like putting your carrots, you know, in with your garbage disposal, but not turning it on. Yes, saying, well, maybe what, I'll eat them later. That's what I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've, I've honestly never heard of anyone doing that. If you do that, please write me. Cause that, that sounds completely <laughs> please, bonkers. Please to write me. David. So now, now they're going to write you. Okay. Now, if you tell I'll them put it bonkers. on Twitter, just tweet me, but it does sound bonkers. But the, uh, but, you, uh, but I know that uh, probably every time you see your trash with, uh, anything in it, you immediately uh, delete the trash, right, Katie? Does that bug you? I, I do. It bugs me. Now, years ago in OS 9, there again, all these little hacksies you used to be able to add that probably really slowed down your Mac. They used to have an extension with Oscar the Grouch that every time you emptied your trash, Oscar would pop up and wave at you. Did, did you have that? Yeah. That that might be because I, I was like, I was trained that emptying your trash was the fun thing to do. I would like put... I would create new folders and put them in the trash so I could empty my trash to see Oscar. So I don't know if that was the thing. I would definitely bring it back now, but maybe maybe that's where my obsession came from. Now, do you show your dock on your Mac or do you hide your dock? Now I hide my dock and my dock is on the left side of the screen. Okay. So, all right. So you're doing everything right. I agree. Yeah. You put it on the side because the space from side to side is much less valuable than space up and down. But yeah, because it's hidden, I don't really pay that much attention to when my trash has stuff in it because I don't look at the dock often enough for it to bother me. So I let this, I, I actually use the Mac OS thing. I For years, I used Hazel to automatically empty trash. Uh, I've switched it over to the Mac now. I figure why not give out? Apple doesn't give you as much granularity, but basically it's a one option. It's 30 days. You Anything that's in there more than 30 days gets automatically emptied. With Hazel, you can say, you know, files over a certain size get automatically emptied or, um, you, you, you know, after two days. And you know, just Hazel gives you a lot more options. But for this this type of problem, I felt like 30 days is a really good number. You know, I, I don't want it to, to delete it immediately. Maybe something will come up. Maybe I will have accidentally made a deletion. But after 30 days, I'm fine. Get rid of it. Uh, also in that window, while we're talking about it, is the place that you can tell the uh, the Mac to store your files on iCloud if you want. Don't do that. That's the one that Katie hates, which I have turned on on my uh, Ugh, on my laptop. That's just asking for trouble. Yeah. Well, it's on my laptop. I, I don't have it turned on on my iMac. So I have one Mac with all files on it. But uh, on my laptop, which has a small SSD, that's the only way I can make it work when I've got as much stuff stored in iCloud as I do. So. And I, and I will say that I've not had a problem. I've been doing that at least two years now. Don't write me if you've had a problem. I understand some people have problems. Please email David. <laughs> Katie, you are, you're, you're just not helping me today okay. at all. No, it's fine. The um, uh, optimized storage button is there as well, which is uh, nice if you've got, again, storage problems. See, the thing is we've got these SSDs. And they're expensive. You can't buy, like, not you know, not many people have a two terabyte SSD in their Mac, so they can store everything on there. So sometimes you have to uh, look at some of these options. And Optimize Storage allows you to automatically remove iTunes movies and TV shows that you've already watched. Why not do that? I I would turn that on. I've turned it on my laptop again. I've never had a problem. Um, it, this is media that you can re-download from Apple because it's stuff that you bought from them. 
And then the one that we were mentioning, which kind of brought us down this rabbit hole is the reduce clutter button. You click that and it gives you a list of files. And from there you can go through and get rid of the ones that you don't need anymore. The nice thing about, I don't think Apple's done a particularly good job of displaying this data. Some of the other options we're going to talk about in just a minute, do a better job, but they do a lot. They just give you a list Apple, but they give you the ability to sort them by several means. You can sort it by the type of data. You can sort it by the last time it was accessed. Like I was looking here, I've got a file downloaded on my Mac that is a two gigabytes. Last time I accessed it was in 2012. Hey, maybe I can get rid of that file, right? Um, so, and you can also sort it by size. So if you want to say, well, just show me the biggest files I've got on my Mac that I, I may not need anymore. This is a great way to save face, uh, save space quickly. Yeah, there are other things that this, this shows you, which I think is important. Like, for example, messages can show you how much. How, that's a big one where people accidentally store a lot of data, both on their phone and their Mac. Um, for example, I didn't realize this. I don't keep a lot of stuff. I've got 432 megabytes in messages. I don't know how that happened. Um, shows you where you've got photos, shows you where you've got stuff in iTunes. It's a, it's a really useful screen. I, I think it definitely could be tweaked a little more than it could be and give you a little more granularity. I've got this iPhone field guide in iBooks that's taken up two gigabytes worth of space. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. What is that up with that? needs to go away because it's on my iPad. That's where I read it is on my iPad. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, uh, 1.1 shipped. So if you've got the iPhone field guide, go ahead and download it. And the uh, by the time the show goes live, the PDF version will be out there too. So if you've been in a country where you couldn't get the iBooks version, you can get that. Just go to maxsparky.com slash iPhone and you'll be able to get it. So yeah, lots of lots of good information on this screen. Apple's done a good job with this. It's it's better than nothing. It's certainly better than than what we've had before. I still think there's some some better options and, and we'll certainly talk about those later in the show. But I, I think we're at the point now where you don't have to use um uh, the other options if you if you really don't want to there's some better ones out there but apple has done an okay job of of building some of this stuff into the os that you can now manage it yourself i i would get i would go beyond okay and say you know they've done a, a good job it's just not as fancy as some of us would like it this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by OmniFocus by the omni group did you know that OmniFocus 3.0 is on its way for iOS? They've announced the ship date. It's going to be May 30, and it's an outstanding version of the application. There's a lot to like about this new version of OmniFocus. It's got a brand new design that looks beautiful, and they've got a bunch of new features as well. I'll just summarize a couple of them here in this ad spot so you get an idea of what's coming. The first is tags. Uh, traditionally, OmniFocus has had the idea of sorting your tasks by priority, by project, and by context. Well, now with tags, that replaces context, and you can have multiple contexts for a single project. A good example for me is location. I've always used context for getting the task on the right hardware or around the right person, but adding location gives me an entirely different vector into my tasks. I'm also starting to try some tags around activity. So if I'm doing specific types of legal work, I'll tag it for that so I can batch it together. To tell you the truth, I'm still experimenting with this, so I haven't got it all figured out myself, but I'm going to eventually have a brand new OmniFocus screencast, which is going to show you how I'm using tags. And hopefully you'll be able to find some interesting ways to use it yourself. Additionally, the new version has flexible inspectors, so you can customize what shows up in the inspector. You've got the ability to select multiple tasks and perform multiple functions on them in one go. 
Uh, they've got way better uh, repeating task workflows. You can batch edit. You can now have an interleaved forecast view so you can see things uh, with the calendar right in context. There's just a bunch of brand new features in this, all designed around making the application better. So it's going to be out on May 30. That's for iOS. They're going to have an updated version for the Mac later in the summer. And so by the end of the summer, we'll have OmniFocus 3.0 on both platforms. I'm really excited about using it. I've been using the beta exclusively, like I said, for some time now, and it's been solid. Uh, go check out OmniFocus 3 when it comes out on May 30. If you're an existing customer, they're going to give you 50% off. And we'll be talking about this more in the future. So what are the options to Apple's management tool? Yeah, so there are a lot of third-party tools, uh, many of which we've we've talked about on the show. I, I do want to point out a couple of them. Uh, one that was a previous sponsor of the show is, is Daisy Disk. That's a utility that will allow you to see what is on your hard drive, what is taking up a lot of space on your hard drive. And it does it in kind of this really interesting visual way with concentric circles. And um, it, it's it's kind of got a, an interesting visual representation of how all of your hard drive space is used. And it can can give you an at-a-glance way of seeing where all your hard drive space is being used and maybe help you identify files that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. No, I, I agree. I, I think this is still my favorite way to do it. I still have the app installed. I've been, I think they've updated it a few times since they used to sponsor us. But I really like the, uh, the way it displays the data. It makes it really easy to see problem areas because of those concentric circles. And you'll see like, oh, wait, Logic is taking way more space on my hard drive than I ever thought it was. And then it gives you a starting off point to go clear some space out. The um, other tool is one is made by our friends over at the Omni Group. It's a it's a free tool. It's called Omni Disk Sweeper. Um, although it's a free tool, they've continued to optimize it for the new versions of the OS. Um, Omni Disk Sweeper is much more of an uh, an outline format type tool where it will list in a hierarchical structure uh, text-based where your files are. So it will scan your entire hard drive, takes a minute or two to do that. And then it goes through and it says, well, here's your user folder. Your user folder is using X number of gigabytes. And then you can drill down to the user folder and see, well, what in there? Then my iTunes folder is this big. My my uh, my photos folder is this big. My settings folder is this big. My library folder is this big. If I dig in there, these are all the other things. That is probably a little more my speed because you know, you're kind of one of those mind mappy, you know, artsy visual people. I'm a little more of the the outline type people. So I think, you know, that kind of works better for the way that my brain is organized, but either works better. And just go ahead and say it that I'm a hippie. I know <laughs> what you're thinking. Hey, I am I'm wearing Birkenstocks right now. Well, hey, good. I'm first of all, I'm very happy that you've made progress that, with those Birkenstocks. I love well, my Birkenstocks. I have I got to get you a, I have a pair of brown and a pair of black. I'm going to get you a pair of rainbow sandals. That's if you're from California, you got to have a pair of rainbow, rainbow sandals. No. Why not? You know what they are? I don't know what they are, but you I, don't even know what they I are. And you're not I don't wear, wear anything that's multicolored. I, I'm a solid color kind of person. Well, first of all, they're not they're not multicolored. They're brown. They're beautiful. Oh, okay. sandals. All right. If they're just solid colors, I'd, I'd be open to that. But I don't. Yeah, I wear solids. It's like if you ever get to Orange County, you got to go to the rainbow store. I'm. Okay, when are you going to come down here? Because, I mean, I feel like there's so much I need to ex expose you to. I've been to where uh, my, my parents are actually coming your way. I should send them your way. They're coming out this week. 
So. I, I need to get you to Disneyland. I got to get you to the Rainbow Store. I got I, I got to get you to Laguna. Oh, so much to do. All right. All right. We'll figure it out. Uh, I'm getting off hey, topic maybe, here. Hey, maybe this is what we could do for show 500. Maybe I could come to Disneyland. We've been looking yes. for something for show 500. That's, you know, you didn't like the cruise idea. So maybe that's what we do. Well, I don't want to freeze people out, but we'll, we'll figure some. Maybe we'll find a place somewhere in Orange County. Maybe we'll have a Mac Power Users Weekend. Wouldn't that be fun? At Disneyland. It's not as cool as if we did a Disney World, but, you know, we could do that. No, it would be way better. But we could have, like, a group of listeners. We could just all kind of get together and hang out and have fun and drink and talk about Max. All right. All right. That's something we could I could get on board with. We could we could definitely talk about this. We're on 430. If you, if you know anything, send me a note. Maybe you can help us put this together. Uh, I, but I'm off topic. Uh, OmniDisc Sweeper, it's free. That's another great thing about it. So it's a free tool uh, the Omni Group gives away. So it's another good way to do some some quick maintenance on your Mac. And I, I think the storage thing, I'd like to just kind of wind back. We, we got started talking about how do you manage storage in terms of seeing where your data is. But I, I think a key point of maintenance, this is something we really haven't talked about on the show is have you stopped to think about how you're handling files? I mean, we occasionally we get on the topic of Dropbox versus iCloud versus whatever, but just generally where on your Mac is your stuff? Now, if you're doing a regular backup routine, you probably have a pretty good idea because you're going to be wanting to target those areas for backup. But I don't think user, Mac users uh, often spend enough time thinking about how their stuff is getting distributed on their Mac. It's very easy if you go at it haphazard to have the applications kind of tell you where to put stuff. The Apple apps are going to want you to put stuff on iCloud. The other apps are going to put stuff on your documents folder. Some things are going to put apps in your Dropbox. But then all of a sudden you've got all these various locations on your Mac where stuff is stored. And it's very easy to miss one of those buckets as you're doing your backups and your maintenance. And that's a recipe for data loss. So I think part of maintenance would be auditing where you're storing your files and thinking, is that the best place? And where possible, consolidating that you know as much as you can. Where do you keep your stuff, Katie? Is it all in Dropbox for you? Mostly. It's it's most Basically, I... I keep a documents folder in Dropbox and and that's the structure that I use. Now there, I still do have a documents folder in my user folder because some things have to stay there, but mostly everything's in a documents folder in Dropbox and that's that's my my structure. Yeah, I, for me it's mainly in iCloud, but there I've got some shared folders in Dropbox with people like you. And and then there's some stuff that goes in documents like my uh Dragon profile saves in documents it doesn't play nicely with cloud storage so i have to you know every mac i have i have to run it out of the documents folder but but that just adds a degree of difficulty in terms of getting things backed up and maintaining your mac so so try and do give some thought to that sometimes i i meet listeners or even people who aren't listeners and i look at their mac and they've got their data spread in 17 different buckets and you know they're going to lose data eventually with that with that setup you also should be looking at, do you have any duplicate files on your system? There are a couple of tools out there that will, will scan for du- duplicates. I think Gemini um, is, is probably one that we both have used and does a, does a good job with that. Uh, Gemini, I believe, will work both with um, uh, documents on the Mac as, as well as photos, correct? Yeah. This is another one I never bought, but then when I signed up for setup, I went ahead and downloaded it and... Because it's made by the Mac Paw folks. Yeah, I know. And, but I mean, it's just, 
I really like having Gemini. In addition to looking for duplicate files on your Mac, it now even goes into your photos library and looks for duplicate and similar blocks of photos. You know how like when you're setting up your family and there's a kid there, you shoot like six pictures because you want to make sure one of them, the kid's got his eyes open. Uh, Gemini actually helps you with that problem too. It's, it's a great app. So that's that's one to look at is to see just to make sure that you don't have duplicates, you know, particularly as you're as you're shooting, you know, burst mode or something like that. You can you can end up very quickly with with a lot of files. Um, The other thing is when you're uninstalling applications to make sure that you uninstall them completely. There used to be a lot more apps that would do this for you. Um, You know, Apple would like you to think that if you just go into the applications folder and delete the application that you're done. That is not necessarily true. I mean, that will that will get the bulk of what you want gone. But just deleting the application in the application folder doesn't remove the entire application. Remember App Zapper? App Zapper was great. It made such a satisfying sound when you would zap an app. I, I really wish it was maintained, but it it's not. Yeah, I say they still have a website, but it looks like it's old stuff. Let's see here. And uh, it did have the one of the best icons that an app has ever had. But uh, you can also do this through Hazel. If you're already using Hazel, which I, I would suspect a lot of the listeners are, uh, they have a button here. That, I think it's called uh, App Cleanup, or I don't remember the exact phrase they use. Uh, app Sweep. Yeah, so just enable App Sweep in Hazel. It's the middle. It's under the trash icon. It's kind of unintuitive, but there's three tabs in Hazel. The middle one is trash. Enable App Sweep, and it'll go through every time you delete an app. It'll search your hard drive and get rid of any associated files. Make sure make sure you you know what you're doing, though, when you do this. Sometimes there may be, um, like, profiles that you want to save if you intend to install the app- application again. We're going to talk a little bit later in the outline about these multipurpose utility apps. I, I just want to point out that I haven't forgotten them. Like, uh, Clean My Mac also has a utility built into it that will allow you to delete apps completely. But I haven't forgotten about it. We're just going to cover these multipurpose apps in a in another section. Um, another place that you can you can check for for Croft. Um, we already talked a little bit about the Messages app, but it is really easy, especially if you've got. Uh, the feature turned on iMessages where it will mirror your iMessages on your phone and on your Mac and people are sending you photos in iMessage. Um, like I said, I didn't realize I had half a gig in iMessages and I don't really use iMessage on my Mac. So I got to go through and, and clean all that stuff out. That's because you just have a baby in your family, right? So you guys are sending all these pictures of the baby through iMessages. Right. And I've got I've got m- messages on my Mac, um, excuse me, on my iPhone set to auto-delete messages after 30 days. I don't think that setting exists on the Mac. That's one you can solve in the uh, system preference we were just talking about earlier. It's got a, a messages flush in there. Well, you can, but I don't think it's got the option where you can go in and automatically flush the messages. That's that's one you can do, but you can't automatically do it. Um, another Another place to look is iTunes. So especially since the recent update to iTunes, you don't you no longer install apps through iTunes anymore. You install the apps directly on your iOS device. So the question is, what do you do with all those apps you've got in iTunes? Do you really need them anymore? Uh, I'm thinking I don't know that I've ever gone back and used an iTunes download of an app to reinstall. I guess if if technically Apple like took the app out of the store and you wanted a copy of it to install, you could probably get it on that way. I mean, there are some edge cases, but I would say, the normal cases are, no, no, you really don't. 
The other, the other uh, violator here is your app, is your backups, your uh, iOS device backups. Like if take a look at your uh, your backup files in iTunes, because you know most Mac Power users will install uh, attach their iOS device, iPad or iPhone, to their Mac and make a, a copper wire backup. And then you forget it's there, and then you replace that with another device. And if you go look at your backups, you may find backups of devices you don't even own anymore. And they take up often a lot of space. So those are those are big ones to look at. And again, some of these multi-utility apps that we'll we'll talk about will will help you get rid of some of these stuff. But um, if you don't want to have one of these apps, those are those are big places to look at. Another big place to look at is your photo library. And we alluded to that a little bit earlier. But it is so easy to get duplicate photos in your photo library um, or to get very similar photos in your photo library. So, for example, if you take photos with your phone, if you take photos and you transfer them you know, wirelessly or from a memory card on a phone or somebody shares photos with you, it's very easy to end up with either exact duplicates or very similar files in your photo library. And photos are big now. We've got lots of lots of pixels in there. Yeah, the iPhones take large files and you know a lot of people in cameras to take even bigger files uh the other thing that people don't realize about the photos app is when you press the delete button in the photos app it's not going into the ios trash can in the photos app it's going into a separate photos trash can that doesn't necessarily get emptied so you may wipe out a whole bunch of photos in effort to save space and not see the library get any smaller because they're still sitting in the trash can in the photos library you have to separately um, empty that trash as well does that does that bug you too, Katie? When there's like photos in the trash can and the photos app, do you have to because it doesn't have a visual indicator when you look at it that that it's got stuff in there. Um, but the photos will won't those go away if you, after yeah after a certain point? amount of time? But you know uh, usually uh, well where you see the problem is a lot of times people start running out of space, so they go and they take a machete to their photos library and they don't understand why it didn't have any impact, and that's because it's not empty. You got to empty that. Yeah. Um, two good tools for, for helping with this. Uh, Gemini will, again, we talked about that a little bit before. We'll help you go through and, and get rid of duplicates in your, your photos library. And then photo sweeper is another one that I've used as well. And then um, fat cat software. Do, do they do duplicates as well? I know they've got a great multi-purpose utility for managing photo libraries, but I didn't know if they, they can do things like merge and, and do all those things with libraries, but I don't know if they did duplicates. I think so. I'm looking real, real quick. They, um, the, it's just such a powerful app for Apple Photos that I would assume it does that too. Now, I, I don't use it for that particular function, but it's kind of a an all-in-one Swiss Army knife for, for dealing with photos and photo libraries. Power Photos from Fat Cat finds duplicate photos, so yeah, that would take care of it too. Any other um, places that we should be checking for this kind of crop? We've we talked about. You know, just generally looking for documents and, and applications that, that live on your Mac. We've talked about iTunes. We've talked about the Messages app. We've, we've talked about Photos. Wh- where else does this stuff tend to, to build up? Well, I, I do think just generally cloud storage or cloud storage buckets lend themselves to uh, large files that you put in there temporarily and you forget about. Oh, and someone else can put them in there. Like, David, I was I was going through... And saw that there was like this MPU presentation from Tech Show in 2016 that was pretty large. Yeah, something you and I gave together. And we're, we're probably not going to do that particular presentation again. Can I get rid of it? Uh, please do, with extreme prejudice. And if I get rid of it, it's gone for you too. 
that's fine. And, you know, well, let's talk about that for a minute. The idea of like Dropbox in particular has this great feature where you have shared cloud storage. You know, you put a folder on, you click a couple buttons, and then some other person or some other group of persons on the internet is sharing that storage with you. Everybody can add to it. Everybody can take out of it. And that is something that can grow your hard drive without you even realizing it. When I was working on a, a book project, when I was working on that 60 tips book with, with Brett uh, on my laptop. All of a sudden I ran out of storage because he uploaded um, like screencast files and video files and just tons and tons of big data into the folder that I had turned on like a dummy on my, on my little MacBook and it started filling up the hard drive. So, you know, be aware of that stuff because it can affect you. Uh, you also need to be aware of that stuff because for some reason I find it takes a while for me to delete collaboration files where I would normally be much happier to delete non-collaboration files. And that's because I don't want to screw it up for somebody else. You know, when I'm sharing a file, like Katie's had this file on her computer for two years of a presentation she did, but she didn't want to delete it without talking to me first because Maybe she thought that's the only place I keep a copy of that presentation and it would just be out of my life then. Uh, that is a place where you can get caught up pretty easily. Many of these cloud-based storage, storage apps have some degree of undo. I think Dropbox will let you undo for 30 days. Um, iCloud will let you undo for some period of time. You do have to be careful, though, because um, it's only for so long. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by SaneBox. Visit SaneBox.com slash MPU to receive a $25 credit off any plan. Did you know that more than 66% of MPU listeners who have tried SaneBox have ended up subscribing? So there's a pretty good chance that you'll fall in love with SaneBox too. SaneBox is the solution to so many of your email woes. It will learn what email is important to you, and it filters out everything that isn't. It just saves you hours and hours of time with email triage. And best of all, SaneBox works with all kinds of email programs and all kinds of email services. You don't have to change anything that you're doing right now. You don't have to get a special app. You don't have to change your email address. SaneBox starts with great email filtering. They have the same later folder, which means that you can keep your inbox clutter-free with only the emails that matter to you most. And everything else goes into the same later folder. SaneBox will intelligently learn what emails are important to you, and it's really, really smart. They also have other features like the same black hole, which means if you've got an email from someone and you never want to hear from them again, drag them off into the same black hole and you never have to. One of my favorite things to do with SaneBox is to defer emails. So you can defer emails till maybe the next business day or maybe till the weekend. So if you've got an email in the middle of the week and you know you won't have time to deal with it till Saturday... Create a Sane Saturday folder and not have to look at that email all week long. And another great feature of SaneBox is the Reminders feature. I didn't start using this right off the bat, and I can't imagine my life without it now. So perhaps you send somebody an email and you don't want to follow up in a few days? Just cc one week at SaneBox.com, and if your receiver doesn't reply, SaneBox will remind you to follow up with them. SaneBox does all of these things and a whole lot more than I can cover in this brief spot. So why don't you give it a try now by heading over to SaneBox.com slash MPU, start a free two-week trial, and when you're ready to sign up, you'll receive a free $25 credit off of any plan. Thanks to SaneBox for your kind support of Mac Power users. We alluded to this a little bit earlier in the episode, but I want to take a moment to talk about utility apps generally. 
Um, there are a lot of uh, third-party applications out there that are all-in-one utilities, kind of the Swiss Army knife, things that will take care of multiple things at the same time. Um, I, I want to throw out a little caveat that um, be careful because there are a lot of bad utility apps out there. Um, many of them will do more harm than good. And I think you have to be careful about which ones you use. My general rule of thumb is you only want to use a utility app from a reputable provider and one that is very regularly updated. And you only want to use one that is updated and compatible and intended for the current version of your operating system. This is one that you want to be very careful with anytime there's an operating system upgrade. I would add to that. We're going to mention three in this show, uh, clean my Mac Onyx and cocktail. I, I don't think I'd use anything that doesn't start with clean my Mac Onyx or cocktail. I mean, there's just, these are three that Katie and I are aware of and that I have reputable developers behind them. And I get, I'm sure somebody's going to write me and tell me some other one that's great, but I, I am very careful about installing things that can start monkeying around with my system that I don't have a trustworthy developer behind. Am I being too uh, alarmist? I, I wouldn't limit it to just those three apps because there, there are other good ones, but I, I would just say, be careful. Um, let's talk about it because we always get asked. And if we don't address it up front, we're going to get asked about it. What is our stance on antivirus and anti-malware for the Mac? So where are you? 2018. Uh, I don't use either. So that that's the short answer. Um, the short answer is no. The, um, the longer answer is it has been probably more than 20 years since I've run any kind of antivirus software on my Mac. Uh, not since the OS 9 days have I run any antivirus software on my Mac. That day may come, but we are not there yet. The The reason is I have found that generally it is not very good. That um, the, usually this is a situation uh, where the cure is worse than the disease. There are generally not many true, quote unquote, viruses um, out there for Mac that would be caught by an antivirus software. And that having an active antivirus software that is running in the background of your Mac is going to be resource intensive, probably is not going to catch anything and is probably going to make your user experience pretty poor. I have occasionally, if there is a need or if I was concerned about something, um, have downloaded and run like malware bytes on a case-by-case -case basis as an on-demand scan if I was worried about something and I've never had anything come up, but I don't actively run anything. You know, I get where you're coming from. It's funny, you, your cadence for that whole like speech was so deliberate because, uh, you know, we always worry when the subject comes up. I don't want to say I'm not running virus software, you're fine, and then have someone get hacked because of that and then come back and say, come on, you guys told me not to run it. I'm not telling you not to run it. I'm saying that uh, sometimes these software, I, some of these softwares feel like you're installing a virus on your computer. You know, uh, I've had so many bad experiences where I install virus software and then later try and get it off. And I almost can't successfully get it off the computer because the vendor is so aggressive about keeping their software running um, that it, it really turns you off the whole system. Uh, but, you know, times have changed and we are moving forward. There are still a lot of risks to your computers. 
Apple does a really good job in general of protecting Mac OS users. I think they need to do more work to protect us better because it still is a scary world out there. And in general, you know, you've got to type in an administrator password to get things to really cause damage. But the world is getting very sophisticated at getting you to do that. I mean, we all are seeing these phishing scams that people uh, generate that send you emails. I, I just posted on Max Sparky about a month ago where I got a, a very convincing email from Apple saying, hey, uh, thank you for your YouTube Red, red subscription. Uh, we are going to, uh, you know, charge you your $200 next week, you know, like in three days or something like that. If you want to unsubscribe, click this button. And it looks so real. And I, normally I knew it was phishing immediately when I saw it. But then I have these kids in my house and I never know what kind of buttons they push. So it, it, it got me worried enough that I just walked around the house. Hey, anybody signed up for any subscriptions for YouTube, you know? And then, of course, they hadn't, and it was totally phishing. They just wanted me to click that little button to get my account details. Uh, so it's just really easy to, to find yourself getting exposed that way. And increasingly, you are seeing on the Mac, uh, now we're hearing about these um, uh, people who, uh, what they, they encrypt your drive and lock you out unless you give them money to unencrypt. Uh, th there are those kinds of risks out there. And if you give someone your administrative password, it's the kiss of death. You're, you're done. So uh, is there software out there that can protect you? Before we recorded the show, I actually called, you know, I, I uh, represent and am friends with several IT professionals, Mac IT professionals, and just kind of did an informal survey about guys who are working with people who have Macs in the workplace all the time. And they are largely installing, a lot of them are at least installing software now uh, to, to protect it. The one that seems to come out as the, uh, the winner between the, the pros I talked to was Sophos, uh, S-O-P-H-O-S, which is particularly good for ransomware and those types of attacks. So I'm not really at the point where I'm going to tell you not to do it. I will agree with Katie, however, that I don't install it at this point, but it, I am getting worried that I'm going to have to at some point. Well, to be clear, I didn't tell anybody not to. I just told you what I did. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it's a podcast and people hear what they want to hear. So just be careful. It, bad things can still happen on your Mac. Let's let's be very clear. Y you can still click on a link. You can still download something. You can install something. There are phishing and um, uh, you know bad apps are are still things that can happen. You can still get something that gets by Gatekeeper. You can still get something that's not signed. You can you can still get something that you download that you think is what it is, but it's been compromised on its server. Um, you know that that has happened before. Uh, you can still download something that you think is perfectly legit that you you downloaded from the actual developer server, but it turns out that they were hacked and their copy of the software was uh, compromised. I think that has happened with a with a couple of notable apps in the not so distant future. But you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do to protect yourself from some of that. A, a lot of it you can protect yourself just by being careful and being vigilant, vigilant, yeah, vigilant. But but the the point I really want to make is that. I, I think the old, the phishing attacks and, you know, the attempts to break into your system before uh, using social engineering were almost comically bad, you know, where they had misspellings. They'd, they'd say they're from Apple, but they'd misspell the word Apple or something like that. And they're not that way anymore. They're much more sophisticated. And, and you know, it's easier to get caught in these traps. I really, when I look at like that email I received about the $200 uh, YouTube charge, I think about like, 
members of my own family that if they had received that email would out question would have immediately clicked on that because they wouldn't want to be charged $200 and they probably would have given up their, their iTunes credentials. So uh, the reason this stuff is showing up in our inbox is because it works and everybody needs to be careful. And I think some software may be able to help protect you if you're worried about it. Like if I was installing this, like on a family member who I thought was particularly vulnerable, I would look really closely at some of these tools. Okay, enough of that, though. Let's talk about these utility apps. Um, so let's talk about the the one that I use most often, and and that is that is Clean My Mac, not to be confused with some other applications that that might be out there. I like Clean My Mac because it will do a whole lot of things uh, in one application. It's kind of a one stop shop for a whole lot of things that you need to do. Uh, in fact, I'm going to open it right now while we're we're talking about it. And this is one that you use as well, David, right? Yeah, it's really my tool of choice for this stuff these days because a lot of the stuff we've been describing earlier in the show, uh, Clean My Mac just does for you. So the first thing it will do is it will go through and it will do a cleaning pass and it will search for things. They call it um, system junk, photo junk, mail attachments, iTunes junk, trash bin, and large and old files. So it will do a scan. The scan can take a couple of minutes and um, it will do things like it will look for cache files. It will look for unused languages because, you know, when you install many apps, you'll get, um, you know, a, a couple dozen different languages installed. I only speak English, so those those can all take up um, a lot of space. Um, it will look for things that it can remove um, without necessarily compromising uh, the integrity of your system. And probably the first time you run it, you will find several gigabytes worth of things that you can remove. You get the most bang for your buck usually the first time you run it or the first time after any major you know, operating system install or, or things like that. I think when I ran it fairly recently, it found about uh, you know, 22 gigabytes worth of stuff that it could remove. But uh, you know, that's, that's huge on a relatively small SSD. It, it looks for things like old log files or fat binaries that you don't need or broken app data or you know, maybe preferences that have been you know, abandoned. And- yeah, and, and it does the job for you. It goes into the files. And the, uh, the the developers behind it are very careful to not try and put stuff in your proposed trash can that you need to keep your Mac running. So uh, I, I find it a very useful tool for that purpose. Um, the other thing that it will do is we'll go through your photo library. It will look for things like, does not look for duplicates. There's another app for that, but it will look for things like um, caches and faces data that you don't need. And it will try to pull those out. Um, mail attachments is another big one. So particularly if you're using an IMAP mail service and all of your mail messages are stored in the cloud, uh, your Mac will also download local copies of those messages. And particularly if you're sending and receiving large files, uh, you can have gigabytes and gigabytes worth of files and attachments in your mail messages that you may not necessarily need because those attachments are you know, already in the cloud. So you can save a lot of space by getting rid of those attachments. It does the same thing with iTunes and look through iTunes and find large files like movies you've already watched, which I talked about earlier. Uh, it, it'll look through your trash bins. Now, Katie, of course, the trash will always be empty for Katie. But for me, it, it actually does find trash for me. Yeah. And it looks through all those other trash bins that are not the main trash bin. And then like the uh, built-in iOS operating system, it will give you a list of old files that you may uh, haven't used in a while that you may want to get rid of. So it does just a nice job of putting that all together in one process for you. And rather than spending a bunch of time hunting and pecking through your Mac, 
uh, you just press one button, let it do its scan, and then you can go. Now, it, it it's not automatic. You do have the ability to look through the proposed deletions and check and uncheck them. So if you want to really manage that that to a, you know, to a very fine degree, you can. And that might make a lot of sense for you. But even then, there's some usefulness to this app because it still collects everything together for you to review rather than making you look through the haystack to find all the needles. And I, I don't know. I just think it's a really good application for this problem. I don't keep the notifications turned on. They do have the ability to notify you every once in a while. Hey, it's been a while. But to me, this is just like a maintenance routine. We're going to talk on the end of the show how we do this. But I mean, this is just one more thing where I have a, a repeating task to remind me to run the app every once in a while to make sure everything's good and clean. I run clean my Mac eh, every couple of months, kind of when I when I think about it type thing. I, I haven't set up a repeating task. It's kind of one of those things where when I think about it or things are starting to get low, I'll, I'll go through and do. I'm really excited, and I think they added this with maybe version two or version three, about all the additional utilities that they added. Because I used to have two or three different apps that would do this stuff. Um, and then Clean My App Mac added a couple of utilities. The, the big one that I really like is the uninstaller utility. And what it will do is it will go through um, maybe not quite all, but most of your apps on your system. And it will give you the opportunity to uninstall those apps and remove all of the little pieces that are associated with that. Now, there are a couple of apps that it doesn't support uninstalling, which is, you know, fine. There's some that it can't do. But this is a way for you to click on an app. It will show you all the pieces and and where all those extra pieces are. Maybe they're, you know, in your library folder. Maybe they're in a cache folder. Maybe they're somewhere else. And it will say, hey, th this is where I found all the pieces for this app. And then this is what I'm removing. And I think that is huge. And the other thing it does, it will run the maintenance scripts. Uh, I think this was a bigger deal in the past, but you know there are scripts that your Mac runs to do common maintenance on disk performance and uh, checking for application errors and all the likes. And Apple, for the longest time, didn't really have a reliable system to run those scripts. And you'd have to go in the terminal to do it or get some app to do it. This application does that as well. You click one button and it takes care of it for you. Uh, it has the ability to go in and remove things like uh, cookie from all your, your various web browsers, cookies, browsing history, your download history, your saved passwords, um, recent items list, your, your Skype history, and here's the big one, your messages. If, if that's a thing for you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's a size thing. You know, it's, it's going to remove uh, 260 attachments uh, from messages for me. And okay, I don't I don't send this many iMessages. Three thousand eighty-two messages. Where did those come from? I don't text. They're probably on group messages, and you know it adds up. It adds up. But the you know the the point of all of this though is just to make it simple for you. Like I I'm not telling you to go and delete all of your email attachments because there's a certain convenience to have them all attached to your mail application and the ability to go back and access any of those at any time. And we've all had instances where we forgot to save an attachment and you have to go into email and dig it out. If it's not downloaded, then you have to re-download it and it's a pain in the neck. And if you don't have an internet connection, you're out of luck. But uh, if you have an SSD like so many of us do, and if space is at a premium, that is a sacrifice you may be willing to make to say, I'll get rid of, you know, 10 gigabytes versus ver uh, 10 gigabytes of mail attachments in order to free up that much space on my uh, my SSD so my Mac runs better or I can put other more important data on there. And this application just does it for you with one click. And that's the beauty of it. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU to get 20% off. For years now, 1Password has been protecting me. I like to use my computers to do interesting things on the internet, and as a result, I have a lot of passwords. 1Password is my key friend and tool in making sure that I don't get myself in trouble this way. The bad guys are too sophisticated. No longer can you just use a couple passwords that you keep in your head for all your websites. It's just a recipe for disaster because if one password gets compromised, and that doesn't even have to be from you, it can be from a bad website that doesn't store the information properly, the bad guys then have your email address and password they can try against a bunch of different websites. Well, 1Password fixes that for you, making it easy for you to make strong, unique passwords for every login that you have. And the good news is you can forget all those passwords. 1Password remembers them all for you. They save the passwords and they log into the websites with a single click. It's really that simple. But 1Password does so much more than that. First, it's rock-solid security. They spend so much time making sure that your data is protected. And they have a bunch of additional features in the application that you can use. One of my favorites is Secure Notes. This is an area of notes in the 1Password application behind the 1Password vault where I can keep information that I don't want just anybody to be able to read. In that area, I've got information concerning medical stuff. I've got social security numbers, anything that's just needs an extra degree of security. You get that for free with 1Password. I also, in 1Password, am able to keep all my credit card information. I can keep the telephone numbers you call if you lose them. I can keep all those secret codes they print on the back of the credit cards. I can even take pictures of the credit cards and include them. Once again, this just gives me one more way to hold on to that information without making it available to just anyone. So whether you need 1Password for your home and family or for your work, they've got a product solution for you. They continue to make the application amazing and they continue to add new features. They're getting ready now to release 1Password 7 for Mac and it's going to be great. I've been running the beta. Can't wait to talk about that one in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and make yourself and your family and your workplace secure. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and sign up for 1Password today. So what are some of the other apps that you may want to consider as utilities? Onyx is the free one. Um, it's It's been out there for a while. It it doesn't do a lot of the things that Clean My Mac does, but it does a lot of these maintenance things. You know, a lot of these maintenance things like rebuilding caches, running your maintenance scripts, uh, rebuilding your spotlight index and all those types of things. A lot of those are really just under the hood terminal commands. And a lot of these utilities will, will put a, a front facing GUI on them. Um, cocktail is another one that I like that will, will do all of those things and then add some additional, again, front facing, uh, GUIs for those interface. Cocktail is one that I bought years and years and years ago. Uh, and they just keep giving me, uh, uh, updates to it. So. Yeah, I haven't used cocktail in a long time. I used recently, I had a font problem. I had to go, uh, clear my font cache and I used Onyx for that. Uh, that's O N Y X. If you're looking for it. I don't know that that's something you can do with uh, Clean My Mac. I, I couldn't find it, but maybe it's just in there and I just never found it. But, but that, So there are some things in there. And, and the problem with Onyx, well, first of all, when you download Onyx, Katie mentioned earlier, you make sure you download the, the versions of these applications for your current operating system because Onyx is a free tool that you can just download. It'd be very easy to click the wrong but, uh, link on their website. And if you run the Sierra version of Onyx on High Sierra, 
you know, there be dragons. It's very easy to completely hose your system by running the wrong version of some of this maintenance software on the op- operating system. So make sure you got the right one. But there's also a program like Onyx can go really deep into the operating system and you have to be careful. If you don't know what you're doing, then don't push the button because you may do more damage than you think. Um, the other one is don't forget about disk utility. I mean, it's it's built into your system. There's there's some things that it can't do, you know, while your Mac is actively running, but all Macs now have a recovery mode that you can boot into. Is it by holding the R key at startup? I, I always get into it just by holding command, command R, R um, or by the option key will give you the option to boot into the recovery partition. And then you can run this utility from the recovery partition if you need to. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of a whole different subject. I want to talk about that for a minute, just disk maintenance. We've been talking a lot about file maintenance and system maintenance. But just, you know, what's the health of your, I want to say hard drive, but a lot of people don't have, in my mind, a hard drive is a spinning platter, but, you know, your SSD or your storage mechanism. Uh, it used to be easier in some ways to see or to hear when problems are going on with a spinning disk because you could actually hear it in the disk. Uh, with SSDs, they're awesome and way better in so many ways, but they also are just going to fail one day with no warning. So, you know, are you doing something to check the health of that? And what Katie was talking about earlier was if you turn your Mac off entirely and then turn it back on while holding down the option key or command R, you can get into recovery mode. And every uh, installation of the Mac operating system these days installs a separate tiny partition of or a version of Mac OS. I don't want to really call it a version of Mac OS. It's a recovery partition. So it's just a small slice of your hard drive that that the Mac can boot into separately without having to boot into, you know, the traditional Macintosh hard drive that has all of your data on it. So by being on a separate installation, then the operating system has the ability to analyze your main uh, partition that you usually use on your Mac. So disk utility can check and repair that disk without having to go through extreme measures. But the the trick to all of that is getting yourself in a recovery partition to do that. And that is something I think you should do once in a while. Load it up, have it run a check, and just see if there's any problems. And if, you, if you're routinely seeing problems, that's a good sign your hard drive is, is in trouble, you know, or, or maybe heading towards, you know, trouble. So uh, you might want to polish off your backup routine, maybe even take the Mac into the Apple Store and have it checked out. Yeah, and, and we should say... Um, backup solves a lot of ills because it, it, it just fixes a lot of problems because you can just go back. Uh, when things do break on your hard drive, there's a couple tools. Um, Disk Warrior, remember that one? Been around forever. Uh, what that does is it analyzes your drive and rebuilds the directory, which is a very useful tool because occasionally it's not that the date on your drive gets scrambled, but it's the directory. You know, we have the, the analogy I always use on the show is the phone book. You, you look up the phone number in the phone book. To, I guess people don't even have phone books anymore, so I should change that. But, I was going to say it was the table of contents or the index to a book. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So your table of contents, and then uh, if the table of contents gets scrambled, the hard drive can't find the data. Disk Warrior rebuilds the table of contents by looking at the contents of the book. So it, it, uh, there's several times with family members that their their Macs have stopped working because of a disk problem. And I paid 100 bucks for Disk Warrior several years ago, and I take that to a family member. I run it. It fixes their computer, and I get the best Christmas presents for the next couple of years because of it. Um, 
there's one that's in the uh, the setup that I haven't played with extensively called Disk Drill, but I have access to it. I, I don't want to recommend that one because I just haven't used it yet to solve a problem. But uh, that was a new app I wasn't even aware of. But it, it looks like it's a, a good disk utility as well. And because it's in setup, part of me thinks it must be pretty good. But I, I don't want to recommend it, but it, it is available. Um, I do want to throw out a couple of tips that you can use. Um for running your Mac lean. And then I want to close out by talking a little bit about physical maintenance because there, there is still some. Um, one of the things that you can do is, you know, whenever you get a new machine, and, and this is so weird, but people say, man, I just got this new computer and it's running slow. And that's because when you first get a new machine or when you first do a nuke and pave, um, your Mac is doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to to get that ready. It's It's building some cache files. It's indexing your entire hard drive for Spotlight. Um, one of the things that you can do is skip the spotlighting indexing if you don't need it, like on external or backup drives. And you can do that by ex- adding those drives as, to the exclusion list in Spotlight in the Spotlight System Preferences. So that's something that you can do. For example, I, I think we both probably have clone drives or, or drives that we sync data to from time to time. You don't need to have those drives indexed by Spotlight if it's, if it's just backup data. And so you can save a lot of time. And, and make Spotlight run a lot better. You know, <laughs> and and then, you know, when you're opening or launching something with Spotlight, that you're getting the right one on your hard drive and not the one on the backup drive that's plugged in. Um, the other thing when you're uh, when you're running uh, extra versions of the software, it, well, Katie just kind of explained it, but it is really easy to get confusing if you run either Spotlight or something like LaunchBar or Alfred and it's seen two copies of each file. Um, the other thing that I recommend people do is to have a clean account. Um, I like doing this for a couple of purposes. Number one, having a clean administrator account gives you a, a test account that you know if something is wonky that's happening, if you boot into the test account that's a clean account, is it is it working there? Is it not working there? That kind of tells you, you know, is this a hardware issue? Is it a software issue? Is it something at the user level? Is it something deeper than that? So it just gives you kind of a starting place. If you have a clean account that you haven't installed a lot of stuff in, it, it gives you kind of a starting place to to start looking for where this trouble is. Um, the other reason I like it is the few times I've ever had to take my Mac into service, um, I have another account that I can give my username and password to rather than my account. Now, if it's an, I get, if it's an admin account, then they could then log in and do nefarious things and change passwords and all, but it makes me feel better. But one change there is if, if the, uh, sometimes you bring your Mac in and you think it's a hardware problem and it's actually a software problem, but that's an advantage really, because if you have a test account, you can see if you're getting the same problems in the test account as you are in your main account. Uh, so, you know, it's a way to test them against each other. But if you bring it into the Apple store and you log into the test account as opposed to your own account and they don't see the problem that you brought it in for, then that's a good sign that it's not hardware. It's something with your installation. Um, we, you know, we talked earlier about these caches and like emptying this stuff out. And Katie was talking about how it takes a while to rebuild the spotlight. I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about deleting as you do this maintenance is actually getting rid of stuff that makes your Mac run faster. I mean, a cache is, if you don't know, I mean, it, maybe some people don't, it's, it's basically a little slice of stuff that your computer needs often that you use repeatedly and it saves it in a special place for you so the computer can access it extra quickly. As soon as you delete that and it has to rebuild all that stuff, things will slow down as you do some of the maintenance we've talked about here. Yeah, this is not one of those things where, oh, if I do it once a month, it's good. If I do it every day, it's better. And in fact, the exact opposite can be true. Um, another thing you can do once in a while is just turn your computer off. I mean, there's 
<laughs> I don't know why people are so hung up on this. Some people really feel like, uh, you know, it's like a badge of honor keeping their computer turned on for eight months. I, I put in the show notes, this is not a contest. I, I reboot at least once a week, whether I need to or not. At least once a week I reboot and it, it solves all manner of problems. So I, I can tell you one thing, like, you know, among my various checklists and things, I have an, an alarm goes off in my computer uh, 30 minutes before every episode of Mac Powers re- users records. And I turn my computer off entirely. I, I don't restart it. I shut it down. I let, you know, I let it cool down for a minute or so. And then I start it up again. And I always like, maybe it's just a superstition for me, but I like starting a podcast with a computer that's just freshly booted up. I think it's just removing one more potential problem area as I sit down to record. The other thing, um, I have changed how often Time Machine does its backups. I back up to a network attached storage drive. This is something that I use a great little tool called Time Machine Editor for. And um, I've configured Time Machine. I don't need Time Machine to back up every hour. Uh, you know, once every couple hours is fine. Uh, you know, well, I was going to say on the rebooting thing, have you ever watched the show, uh, The IT Crowd? Mm, I am familiar with it, but I, I never really cared that much for it. Oh, man, I'm surprised. It's so good. So anybody listening to the show, if you like this stuff, there's a British show called The IT Crowd. It's so funny. And the one of the the characters. Yes, hello. Have you tried turning it off and back on again? Yeah, yeah it's it's his machine on his telephone. <laughs> so it works. It works. Uh, so how do you manage this stuff, Katie? What what what's your system for uh, checking up on your system? Running, clean my Mac. You just wait until there's a problem, or do you have a regular? Um, I have a repeating task in OmniFocus to check my backup hard drives. You know, make sure that I can boot for them and make sure that everything works for them. Uh, to run disk utility. I think that's about every six months or so. And then kind of when that happens, I um, I, I know that it's about time to do that. And then like um, I, I have a, a a hard drive that is, quote unquote, out of the rotation. And then I, I have a, a carbon copy cloner will be set up that if that hard drive hasn't been plugged in in 30 days, it will give me a reminder to plug that hard drive in. And you and you do that through Carbon Copy Cloner, or is mm-hmm. it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it says um, if this hard drive has not been seen in thirty days, remind me to plug it in. Backup is a whole different thing for me, but just running maintenance tasks. The way I do it, I just have a repeating task in OmniFocus every ninety days that says Mac maintenance, and I don't I don't detail it out because I know what I need to do. And for me, that's boot up, clean my Mac, run clean my Mac, make sure everything's going fine, and and everything's running. And if there's any other issues, I, I, I usually can handle those through the utilities and maintenance scripts in clean my Mac. I don't run Onyx every 90 days. Onyx only comes out when I really have a problem. Um, the other thing I want to talk about before we go, I know we're running late on time. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about physical maintenance to your Mac because there's not a whole lot to it. But one of the big things about physical maintenance is battery health, particularly for laptops. And I will tell you, I have not been as diligent about that with this particular laptop as I should be. I do use a a utility called Fruit Juice to remind me to plug and unplug my Mac. And I've even gone so far um, as to plug my Mac into a Wemo switch, which this worked. And then there must have been an update that it doesn't work as much anymore because I see that my Mac has not had its battery time yet today. But to um, turn that Wemo switch off at certain hours of the night to to try to get my Mac running on battery power and then set the uh, caffeine app. Maybe I just need to reconfigure that to keep my Mac awake during those hours. Yeah. I mean, if you keep your 
your laptop plugged in all the time, the battery will not last as long as if you unplugged it and you know used it somewhere else once in a while. So something to keep in mind. I, I think even also like keeping an eye on how the computer is being displayed or used. Uh, my kids are my great experiment for this because I see them with their laptops and I'll go in their rooms and they've got their laptop that they've they've got on their lap, but then they've got their their bed comforter between them. So the vents are entirely covered and, you know, the computer's going to heat up and it's not going to last as long because of that. So I finally got each one of them like a little, it's like a board kind of thing that they can put on top. And, and, you know, if you tell them, they'll try and do it, but they're teenagers too, so they may not pay attention. But, you know, pay attention to how the computer is being used. If you've got an iMac that's up against a window that faces the sun through the whole summer, that's going to affect your computer. I mean, just give an idea to how things are, you know, the environment that the computer's in and do what you can to help protect the computer, keep it cool, and it'll, you know, last longer that way. Uh, what about uh, cleaning the screen? Do you do that? Um, I do. I use iClear to clean the screen. It's a, a product that you can buy that is um, not damaging or corrosive to the to the Apple screens. Um, you can also just use a very lightly damp cloth is, is probably another way to do it. You don't want to put anything corrosive. You don't want to put Windex on your screen or anything like that. Yeah, iClear with a K. And um, I, I bought a bottle of this stuff at Macworld ages ago when there still was a Macworld and I'm still still working my way through it. Um, I think that's it. Real uh, Keyboard, same thing. Uh, with Oh, yes, yes, yes. So here's what I do with my keyboard. You got you to be careful. Now, not necessarily, I use an external keyboard for, for most things. Um, I would be very careful with the, uh, with the keyboard on your Mac, particularly with the new keyboards, because gosh, you know, it doesn't take anything to, to cause problems with them. And so you want to be very careful. I, I do not eat at the computer. Um, I'll have a bottle of water or something with a, with a cap on it, but um, I'm very careful about not eating at my computer because, you know, gosh, the new MacBook keyboards are, are so sensitive. But um, what I will do, because have you ever looked at some people's keyboards? They're just so disgusting. It's just ridiculous. Um, I will uh, turn off my keyboard and I will get, are you familiar with these, um, the, the Clorox wipes that are kind of scrubby on one side? Um, and I will very, I'll make sure that it's, it, you know, it doesn't have a lot of excess moisture on it. Um, and I will use those to, from time to time, um, depending on how dirty the keyboard is, my keyboard doesn't get particularly dirty, um, but use those to, to clean down. And if necessary, use the scrubby side to, uh, scrub the keyboard lightly. Um, again, I, you don't want it to get very damp. You want to leave it off for a, a while. So I'll usually do this like at the end of the day so that it can, can air dry. Um, but just get it, you know, clean and, um, compressed air and blow anything out of there. Sometimes I'll, I'll tap it on the desk and turn it upside down to get any little flakes or crops that may have gotten in there out but yeah i'm very very careful about the the actual keyboard on the laptop you know the the third the external keyboard i mean worst case scenario you just replace the keyboard and that's not super expensive but you know you touch it all the time so with my imac i uh i occasionally the nice thing with the imac keyboard i use the apple um it's not called magic keyboard i forget what they call it i think maybe it is the magic keyboard actually it's i use the apple keyboard and you there's a switch on it so you can literally turn it off which is better than past iterations and you just turn it upside down and shake it and then i'll i'll take the eye clear and i'll squirt a little on a lint-free cloth when it's turned off and just kind of rub it down i don't it's not very, it's not much liquid at all 
I would do the same thing on a laptop, squirt, squirt some iClear, which is basically an alcohol ammonia mix on a... Uh, I, no, it is it is not alcohol or ammonia, I'm pretty sure. I think that's what makes it special. Hang on, I'll pull mine out and tell you what's in it. Well, either. Whatever it is, I've been using it. It's, it's no problem. I squirt it on a lint-free cloth and then turn the, uh, the laptop entirely off. I'm not talking about put the screen to sleep, literally turn the laptop off and just kind of rub it down and you're good. You know, it's it's proprietary. It doesn't tell you what's in it, but it says um, specifically that it's alcohol free. You do not want to use alcohol on these things. Okay, well there you go. It's blue. The liquid is blue. I've never seen it. I've never opened my bottle. Well, maybe the bottle's blue. It looks blue. It's Romulan ale. Well, are you going to drink it now? No, I'm not. Don't drink it. Don't drink the Eclair. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about does it for Mac maintenance. Uh, so the apps we mentioned here, we'll put in the show notes, put yourself a good list together. The good news is this, this stuff isn't as hard as it used to be, but it still needs to happen You know, until Apple puts a little more uh, wood behind the arrow on the Mac. I think we're still all going to be responsible for maintaining our Macs. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. All right. Well, I think that'll about cover everything that we need to talk about on this episode. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode. That is Smile, Omni, SaneBox, and 1Password. If you've got more maintenance tips that you want to talk about, you can continue that discussion in our Facebook group. And you can find links to all of these things, including the link to our Facebook group, on our website that is at relay.fm slash MPU. So thanks, folks. And we will see you all next time.